We're recording. In LA, almost all of us who can stay home are some are, are quarantined. Six feet all right. matters. Welcome to Quarantine Stream. I'm your host, Bob Christian, and I am still in Los Angeles. Today, I am here with, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Jackson. I live in New York City. Jackson, thanks so much for being on the show. I'm really excited to discuss not only your top five things to watch during this thing, but also East Coast versus West Coast. <laughs> so thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm really excited to have you. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. All right. So Quarantream is a show about the top five things to watch during our very own quarantine uh, situation, shelter at home, safer in place, that sort of thing. I've been saying lockdown, but after all that's come out about the UK situation, I don't really think we're in a lockdown so much. What do you think, uh, Jackson? Do you think we're in a lockdown or do you think this is just some kind of forced time at home kind of relaxed situation? Yeah, I think it's more the latter where we're forced to stay at home and not go out because there's no options to go out to other than going to the store. You can only go to the store so many times or walk the dog in the park. But yeah, it's not, I went lockdown sounds harsher than it is. So let me uh, recap the show real quick. And then I'm going to ask you so many questions about what it's like to be in New York right now. So like I said, <laughs> Corn Stream is a show about the top five things to watch during the quarantine. Each episode, I talk to someone that I value their opinion or that we usually talk about films and television. And I ask them to give us all some suggestions on what we should watch. Then we talk about it. Before we get into the situation of the quarantine, Jackson, tell me, when you put this list together or when you think about things to stream, what is it that makes a good show to binge or to stream right now? I think it's two levels. One is easy watchability. Like, I don't want to have to work too hard for it, think too hard, uh, but at the same time, not be too dumb in a way. Something that has mass repeatability, I'm making up words now as we do this, shows that you want to keep watching, watch the next one that Netflix does such a good job of giving you two seconds to decide if you want to keep going or not. And boom, the next one started and you're already rolling. And then just some escapism, just something that kind of takes your mind off it or reinforces it. We watched this unrelated show on the dead last night, which is eerily similar to what's going on right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's interesting you say that. Uh, looking at your list, I expected more people to send me lists like yours. I love what you're doing. It looks like you're going back and you're rewatching some of your favorite shows for that kind of clickability. You know what this show is going to go. You know you're going to enjoy it. And I can't wait to jump in and talk about what your suggestions are. Sure. But first... Let's talk about this quarantine. Let's talk about East Coast versus West Coast, because if there's anything I keep hearing from my governor, it's that we're going to be where you are in six to 10 days. So what is it like to be in New York? Well, let's start in the beginning. What was it like the first day of lockdown for you? Well, I feel like we got phased into it. I was traveling and I was in Orlando and I had a flight back. This is like two days before we got quote unquote lockdown and my flight was empty and I was scared it was going to get canceled. And I get back to the city, and I went out to dinner the next night, and all of a sudden, it started feeling like, we probably shouldn't be at dinner right now. And then the next day, I had uh, helped a friend move, and I he bought me a beer at a bar afterwards, and we're both sitting in the bar going, yeah, I think this might be the last time we're doing this. And everyone just kind of looked at each other funny, and then sure enough, a day later, they shut everything down, and we couldn't go out anymore. Wow, it really sounds like your experience started more as the citizen's self-policing more than any kind of direct order. Would you agree with that? To a certain extent, sure. I think people started realizing, especially in New York where it's so crowded all the time and people are always around that we started looking around and being like, if we're really going to get sick and this is going to be as bad as this, maybe we should just start now and, you know, do our part because we weren't 
don't have much faith in the government doing it for us necessarily. That's the exact opposite of how it is here. We've been phased into it, like you said, but they've kept restricting more and more things because people kept finding ways to congregate. Yep. People, they shut down the beaches this weekend. Uh, they shut down parking for the beaches last weekend because people kept going to the beach and too many people were around each other. So it's interesting that New Yorkers, it feels like New Yorkers maybe took this more serious, more quickly than Californians. I don't know. I, I have been following that. Ours is more business and transportation. Like, I don't know if you've heard, but no one's taking the subway buses anymore. You know, there's something like 2 million less riders every day. Wow. Uh, which is 50% or something. And then just yesterday, shut down construction for, for the first time, which I thought was a little too late. But the parks are still open. I worked out with a trainer in Central Park two days ago. He and I stayed six feet apart, but there were thousands of people there running, playing with the dogs, kids playing baseball. So they haven't done the park shed, and they keep screaming that they should. Oh, that's funny because construction is still available here. But yeah, all our parks are closed. We've been escaping to national forests that are nearby because everything that's in the city is closed. Moving on from your first day, what's your average day like now? I work from home, uh, as is my girlfriend. So it's two adults that work and make a lot of phone calls and in a small New York apartment. So it's constantly struggling to find different quiet places to, to do calls and get some work done. Meanwhile, there's a puppy running around that wants your attention all the time because he's not used to us being home constantly. Luckily, the weather's changing, so we have a balcony, so we can start moving out there to get some stuff done. And then taking the dog for as many walks as I can because it's the only chance to get <laughs> to get out of the house and get some fresh air and, you know, escape a little. Is it so police that you can only be outside if you have a reason to go, or could you just walk around the block if you wanted to walk around the block? You can just walk around the block. Okay. I've, yeah. I've heard mixed different things. I, I read yesterday that in the UK, uh, they started giving out tickets if you're just walking around. You got a 60-pound ticket. I have heard that. That that doesn't happen here yet. Though, breaking news, I don't know if you heard just now, Trump was saying that he might put Connecticut, New York, and New Jersey in an enforceable quarantine. I don't know what that means, but it sounds like it could be closer to that. I'm so glad you brought that up because... It's weird. It's news that he's thinking about it, right? Correct. <laughs> uh, it's not a decision. It's just something that it's something just to loom in terror over your head. Do you feel like that is going to cause you more stress or do you think that's going to be pretty much the same situation based on the limited information we have now? Probably the same situation, but I feel like we're becoming we as in the citizens of New York uh, and those other areas are becoming pawns in a political battle between him and our governor. Oh, I saw so the exact he would same way do here that in California. Only just to punish. Exactly. Yeah. He would do it only just to punish us or punish the governor. And then we were the ones who had to suffer. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that's exactly what's happening in California. But I feel almost on the other side of the table where it's our governor and our, or the mayor of Los Angeles and the county of Los Angeles are more or less saying, well, Trump's not going to do this. So we're going to do super hard so we can show you what we should be doing. So we can show you what a president should do. And I feel like we're trapped in the middle of that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, granted, in New York, we do have thousands and thousands and thousands of cases. So, you know, there is a lot going on here. Yeah. I mean, like I said, but you guys are literally the example they keep throwing out that watch out because if you go outside, we're going to be just like New York. Right. We're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, before we get into the list, I have one more question. You're yep. a big fan of Broadway and you're a big fan of Metallica. Have you been watching any of these streaming shows that this, that uh, Broadway and bands have been putting on, specifically Metallica? I didn't even know about the Metallica one, so that's breaking news for me. I have to go look that up. Dave Matthews did a live stream the other day. I did watch that. Put on by Verizon. 
that was fun. Uh, and I have watched a lot of the Broadway stuff, for sure. It's just kind of, it's fun to see artists, be it Metallica, be it Dave Matthews, be it Broadway, find ways to still express their artistry. Uh, not to sound cheesy, but you have all these talented people cooped up and locked in their homes, and, you know, what they like to do is give back and perform, and here's an opportunity for them to perform in unique ways. And I think even when this is over, we might see transitions into different things. I mean, I feel like back in the day, didn't, like, MTV do, like, basement concerts and that type stuff? But that type of thing might come back, and we might see more home DIY-type performance stuff. I think it's kind of cool and fun. Did you enjoy watching the streaming Dave Matthews show? More than I thought I would. As you know, I'm a big Dave fan also, but it's something live. The only thing live we have right now is news, and you can only watch so much mm, of it. There's no mm -hmm. sports. There's nothing else. This felt special and unique to the moment. It was tied to it as a you know campaign for small businesses, but even with him you know pushing that, it was something that's new to watch. That's really interesting. You know, I hadn't considered that aspect of it. Uh, but it's nothing let's live get in, on TV anymore. Yeah. Right? Let's get into your list, uh, which is not live. It's actually uh, <laughs> a lot of older shows. Like I said before we started rolling, I'm so excited to jump into this list because uh, it's so unique. Uh, so, Jackson, before we get into your top five things to stream, is there anything you'd like to change? No, I think we'll stick with what it is. Great. Okay, so this is Jackson from New York's top five things to stream or binge during this pandemic. Here we go. Number five. Coming in number five, Jackson says McMillions, which is an HBO miniseries. It was released just this February 2020. It is available to stream on HBO Now, HBO Go, or Amazon if you have the HBO channel, even Hulu if you have the HBO channel. It started as a 90-minute documentary, but became a six-part miniseries. It was produced by Mark Wahlberg's Unrealistic Ideas production company. What I think is really interesting about this is it was directed and written by two editors. This is really their big break as producers and directors. So, Jackson, you want to give us a quick rundown of what this show is? Sure. Back in the 90s, I believe it was, a guy figured out a way to scam the McDonald's Monopoly game. And people of our generation... I'm 38. I think we've all grown up remembering when the Monopoly game came out, even if you didn't even go to McDonald's that often. And this guy found a way to scam it and give million-dollar tickets to all of his friends and friends of friends and whatnot. And this is how the, the case got broken down and he got caught and busted. I was a huge fan of the McDonald's Monopoly game. And yeah. I've only seen the first episode of this, but they definitely discussed in the first episode that they pretty much ended the game. And that made me so sad when I heard that in the show. Absolutely. Why did you click this show to begin with? I had, and I don't know if it's related at all, but a couple of years ago, I read an article, I believe in Wired, about this exact case. Uh, it was one of those nice long-form articles, and it was fascinating. And then I start seeing previews for this uh, show come out. I'm like, oh, that's I've heard about this. I read about that. And I immediately you know, flagged it as something I want to check out. And we started watching, and it's, it's, the story is fascinating. Similar to what I just started watching, which I can't substitute in yet because I haven't finished, but Tiger King. It's full of just crazy characters. I mean, all the people in this big millions, you just, every person you meet, you're like, wow, that person's nuts. And the next one, <laughs> how does that person even exist? And just, you know, the, the, the web that's spun, it's pretty fascinating. You know, Tiger King has yet to make it on anybody's list yet, but I think but it's just only came out on Friday, time. right? I think it's, yeah. yeah, I think it's going to make a list coming, starting next week. Yeah, uh, why only did, three in, yeah. Why did McMillions end up on this list for you as a top five? Because it's recent. We watched the whole thing during the quarantine, so it fits right into your 
criteria. I mean, it was one of the first things we, we binged. You know, I highly recommend it. It could be four or five episodes, not necessarily six, but it, it's a darn good show. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that they started it as a documentary. They didn't know if they'd have enough for 90 minutes. Then they interviewed the FBI guy, and they decided they that had way awesome. more show, yeah. and they <laughs> wanted to make it a longer it's it's such a big stretch to go from do we have enough for 90 minutes to we have enough for six hours which i think is still a stretch but it's again the characters are what keep it going and by characters these are real life people and it, it goes obviously deeper into just the game and the, the fraud but it's how complex it was and you're saying about them ending it they started a whole second game or not no, number of game it was but they started a whole another game with the fbi just to catch the guy Mm -hmm. So McDonald's was involved knowing that, okay, we're running this game right now. It's going to all go to fake winners, but that's so we can get this guy caught. It's crazy. So that's not a spoiler. (laughs) So coming at number four, we have Breaking Bad, which is streamable on Netflix. It was originally released in 2008 and it ran till 2013, which gives it five seasons. Uh, Some of the listeners will remember that season four and five, I think were broken up. So the show seemed to run much longer than its five seasons. It was created by Vince Gilligan. Uh, it started just by him and a friend joking about how they should make meth while they were being unemployed. As he shopped the show around, it got turned down by Showtime because Showtime already had a show called Weeds, which Gilligan said since that if he'd known about Weeds, he never would have written Breaking Bad, which it would have oh, been shit. a huge loss. Uh, many people attribute the greatness of the show to the chemistry on and off screen between the two leads, which are Jesse, played by Aaron Paul, and uh, Walter White. But Jesse was supposed to be killed off at the end of the first season. However, because of the 2008 writer's strike, they only got to do seven or eight seasons instead of the full ten. Uh, so they cut out that final bit where he gets killed, and that's why Jesse ended up staying in the show. Having more time to think about it, they decided to keep him in for the second season. It has a couple spinoffs. We'll talk about those at the end. Uh, but Jackson, want to break down this show just real quick? Well, I think this is an easy one. I mean, it's just Professor turns uh, meth dealer in order to help pay for his uh, cancer treatments. And then all the chaos, of course, that ensues. Now, you said you've gone back and started watching this since the pandemic? Correct. Well, no, that's not entirely. I would watch it for the first time years ago after it already aired. I was already late to the party. And then when they started announcing that the El Camino was coming out, the movie spinoff that was probably on your list, um, I was like, you know what, I want to watch that, but I haven't, I want to rewatch the whole show. I've only watched it once, I need to catch on to it. And I was catching bits of it here and there just while traveling, but since the quarantine, I've been watching more and more, trying to catch up. I think I'm on season four right now, and I'm sure I'll finish it before this lockdown is over. So you haven't seen El Camino yet? I've not, no. Uh, I watched El Camino, and after watching El Camino, I wanted to go back and watch the the series. The best movie, the best television show I've seen in the last, I don't know, five, six years is the three-minute recap of the entire series of Breaking Bad that runs before El Camino. Oh, I haven't it, heard of that. It basically just slams together all the high points of every show that you're currently watching, and you, it's mind-blowing yes why would i not watch this a hundred times this is the best thing i've ever seen it's so good so i want to go back and watch it is that why you put it on your list you think it's great to go back and watch now it is it's very rewatchable i only have like two shows i just kind of watch and loop at all times the wire and the west wing but i think i can easily add breaking bad that list now where it's just if i need something i can throw on one of those three shows and you know you're gonna be entertained and once you've watched them enough you can jump in at any point you know have you watched better call saul 
I started that after I finished the first watch of Breaking Bad, but I didn't dive too far into it, and that's definitely on the list to get into, because I hear that's pretty fantastic. I like it. It, I'd say it got stronger as the seasons progressed. The first season, so the first season was a little weak. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I liked it. I think the problem also is it's the same thing with Walking Dead and all that is when you when you have a show that gets such rabid fans the fans want to turn on the next show and feel the same way but you don't feel the same way about the characters because you haven't spent five six years with them right better call Saul is available on hulu and when you're done you will have to let me know what you think about el camino because i'm really curious having having watched it myself not re-watching breaking bad what it's like watching it having Pretty just fresh, rewatched yeah. breaking bad Jumping into number three, we have Schitt's Creek, which is available on Netflix. It was originally launched in 2015, and the last season is currently running. It started January 2020 and ends April 7th, so I'd say it's a mostly pandemic season. <laughs> it's a CBC, Canadian broadcasting company show, that they decided not to run it on ABC. It's on Pop in America. It's six seasons long, and it was developed by father and son Dan and Eugene Levy, which also stars Dan and Eugene Levy. Want to give a quick break breakdown of this show? Yeah, family loses all their money and has to move to this small town that they own. I haven't quite figured out what all that means yet. And them adapting to a new small town life, uh, poor as opposed to rich. I guess it's kind of the opposite of uh, Beverly Hillbillies in a way. Was this a pre- or post-pandemic stream? started just before we're only two seasons in and what made you decide to finally click it it's been out for a while it has been out for a while and everyone's always talking about it it's mentioned as a reference on half the podcasts i listen to half my friends make references to it i had no idea what it was and frankly you just needed another comedy to stream you know everything is so you know all these 60 minute dramas you know it's a commitment to get into those and i've watched the office enough i've watched parks and rec enough that it's nice to have a new 20-minute show you can just pop on, watch an episode or two, and then walk away and walk away smiling, usually. It's nice to have a laugh. I first tried to watch this show when it came out two or three years ago, and I got into the first episode and did not finish it. After you sent me your list, I sat down last night, and I was flipping through the channels. I was like, I'll give it another try. Jackson says it's worth listening to watching. It's awesome start i just jumped in this episode two because i knew i didn't really like episode one it's so much more entertaining and unique than i thought it was going to be when i watched it it feels so much more like a mighty wind or waiting for guffman it has a very yep. loose feel Catherine hans amazing in it you'll sit there my experience has been i'll sit there for five or seven minutes and not laugh and then they'll say something that's maybe the funniest thing i've ever heard in my life <laughs> yeah it's totally it's a great recommendation. How far are you into the show? Uh, we're almost done with season two. And that's another one where everyone's like, oh, the first season, uh, you have to get into it, but it really takes off in season two. And I enjoyed 85, 90% of the first season. and But I will agree that season two has been even better. I can't wait. It's such a good show. I'm really glad you recommended it because I would not have clicked on it again. I just thought it was going to be kind of low-hanging fruit jokes. And it's super complex, real funny stuff. The characters are fantastic. Just thank you so much for adding this this to the list. It made my night last night. I sat down to watch one episode and ended up watching four. Like you Excellent. said, it's 20 minutes. You just eat them. You just eat them yeah. right up. Done. All right. So number two, this was <laughs> the biggest surprise uh, to me. Jackson's recommendation for the number two thing to watch right now is Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. It's available for purchase on Amazon and all the other 
purchasing services. It ran for only one season. It ran from September 2006 to May 2007. I worked as an extra on this show, so I can tell you oh, from being about that. from being on set, it was supposed to run for over a decade. They built the set to last forever, and the crew knew that. They spent a lot of money making it something that was going to last a long time. But as I walked around with the main cast, I would often hear uh, them grumbling about how the show was not fulfilling their expectations of working on a Sorkin show. And it was canceled shortly after that. Like I just alluded to, it was created by Aaron Sorkin, who has created multiple really successful television shows. This is the least successful show. While it did get critical acclaim, it's widely regarded as his biggest flop. Why did this Why did this make the list, Jackson? Well, first of all, tell people what it's about kind of a behind the scenes making of of a saturday night live spinoff type show uh that takes place in los angeles where the writer uh the lead writer producer gets fired in the first episode and then they bring in uh, a new dynamic duo uh, to take over and um change the show and that's kind of behind the scenes of what happens so why did you put this of all the sorkin shows like you just said you stream west wing pretty much on loop why studio 60 on the sunset strip well, the other night I watched A uh, Few Good Men, which is also Sorkin, and a uh, great rewatchable movie. And I was like, you know what? Let's go back and watch some other good Sorkin stuff. My girlfriend's also a big Sorkin fan, and uh, we decided to start on that one. And both of us actually had the DVD sets, so that's what we used. Um, oh, wow. To watch it. Yeah. So, old school. I've watched it, I watched it live on the air. I remember watching it as a big fan. And then I know I've rewatched it at least one or two times since I got the DVDs, you know, whenever they first came out. And every time I watch it, I like it more and more. It ages well. It's, yeah, there's, especially in the Me Too era now, there's so many eye rolls and cr uh, cringy moments of like, oh my God, I can't believe they allowed that on TV <laughs> back then. But the story is good. I mean, you can see why it doesn't work. You can see why it fails. It's pretty obvious, but it's, the characters are solid. Even when it ended on the 22nd episode just last night or the night before, I was like, man, I wish there was a second season of this right now. Yes, it has its flaws, but I think if he had a chance, he would have picked it back up and he could have made it work. You know, he's Aaron Sorkin specifically, he's done a couple of these things where he gets halfway through and then he gets sidetracked by another project. And I think right around this time is when uh, – the Senator War movie, Char uh, Charlie Wilson's War, oh, yeah. came out. I think he might have gotten distracted by that. It also probably would have been canceled the next year anyway because of the writer's strike. Uh, that ended a lot of shows. Well, I did some read. I think they canceled it mid-run. They agreed to finish out the 22 episodes or something. Because there did. was also a break. There was a break after, I'm trying to count now, there's one, two, three, four. So 17 or so episodes into it. It must have been a break. And then they come back. And this is when it was airing. And they came back with an episode called The Disaster Show, which I think is episode like 17 out of 22. From that one on, it's a completely different television show. It oh, interesting. It stops being behind the scenes and kind of takes a more political, like you can see some, um, some of the start of Newsroom uh, pop into the show. You can see some of him trying to play on that. It, it stops being behind the scenes of a comedy show and just turns into a political war drama. Which was still an interesting arc, but not the show he was writing. And I think you could easily lose a lot of people when you took that shift. That's really interesting. What I meant by it would get canceled anyway is if it did get a second season run, the writer's strike probably would have killed it because it, right. its ratings weren't phenomenal. Yeah. However, that's really interesting that, that the show pivots it 
episode 17. So why did you put this on the list? With so many other great Sorkin shows that people don't watch, I'm thinking of Sports Night. Uh, so that's even next. Sports Night's next. Doorside's next. And um, Newsroom, which the first season of Newsroom is one of the best seasons of television ever. Why put Studio 60 on, on your list? Because I hadn't watched it in a long time. I mean, I, Sports Night's one I watched 9,000 times. Uh, this is my original Sorkin love. And then Newsroom, I think we'll do after Sports Night. Uh, I have, I don't think I've watched that since I first watched it there, so I'd be excited. But yeah, Studio 60 just felt like the right one. And unfortunately, it's hard to find on streaming. You have to pay for it elsewhere. But it's, it was, it was a nice break. And it's funny, too. It's not all serious all the time. Sorkin's a very funny writer. And the, also being behind the scenes of a comedy show, you know, it's, it's a good mix of comedy and drama. I have a personal question before we move on to your number one. Did you get to see the new <laughs> To Kill a Mockingbird? I did, yes. Saw that, what was it, two Christmases ago with the original cast with uh, Jeff Daniels. Sorry, totally blank there. Yeah. How was that? It's it's phenomenal. It's a, it's a great piece of theater. Hopefully it comes back after the shutdown's over. I think Ed Harris was in it when they shut down. I've always thought the the script or the idea, the concept behind To Kill a Mockingbird is so strong, but the original script did not take advantage of of the complexities that we now expect from television and theater. And so I'm really excited you decided to pick that up. Yeah, it certainly does that. All right, let's jump into your number one recommendation, which again, a huge surprise to me, uh, something that I was not familiar with, but now I have loaded onto my phone. Uh, your number one suggestion is a podcast, Pod Save America. It was originally launched in 2017 after the 2016 election. It currently releases two times a week. It's hosted by essentially four former Obama staffers. They're different host pairings uh, between the first episode of the week and the second episode of the week. The show itself is actually a progressive media successor to the group's previous podcast, Keeping It 1600, which was a podcast created to cover the 2016 presidential primaries. After Donald Trump won, they decided they wanted to go in a different direction so they canceled that show and moved into what is now pod save america it's a very popular podcast that somehow was not on my radar at all give us a quick summer uh, summation of what to expect from an episode first of all that's shocking that's not been on your radar quick episode i mean summary it's it's i mean you kind of describe it. it's just four uh ex-obama guys talking about the current day's politics and since they do it twice a week it's always current it's always up to date uh it's very irreverent you know they drop the f-bombs they'll go off on weird tangents um it's obviously very biased towards uh, uh liberal political leaning but they do a, it's just a nice recap of what's going on and they kind of do a good job making you feel feel better about where, where things are we're also terrified about where, where things are going so it's sometimes you leave it happy sometimes you leave it like oh god we're all gonna die but it's, <laughs> at least you're smiling and laughing which way does it lean? Does it lean more towards entertainment and comedy, or is it more informative? I think it depends on the episode. The Monday one is all four of the guy, or four, or actually three hosts, and has which one of them, which is John Lovett, who's more comedian uh, focused. That t that episode tends to be more lighter, and then Thursday is John Favreau and Dan Pfeiffer, totally blanked, and that one tends to be more wonky and more political, just because those two guys tend to be more political. So you have you been listening to this to a while, or did you just pick it up when, once the pandemic started? No, I've probably been listening to it over, over a year now. I mean, pretty much catch every single episode. And they have several spinoffs, as Pod Save the World, which is fantastic, and Love It or Leave It, which is also fantastic and more comedy-centric. And then they have a dozen other podcasts as well. When they moved into making Pod Save America, they created their own network. Correct. Uh, media. To be able to launch yeah. those, yeah. And I've seen them live a couple times. They've 
done live shows at uh, Radio City that I've caught twice now. So that's been fun. But they kind of saw this whole thing coming. You know, they were part of that Obama administration. They went through Ebola. They went through uh, swine flu. And, you know, the, and these guys just weren't staffers. They were, you know, Obama's main speechwriter. They were his, you know, assistant communications director. And, like, people high up that were in the, in the situation rooms, in the meetings. And they, you know, they they called this whole thing way before it got started. And even I didn't take them seriously. I'm like, okay, you guys are just being, you know, uh, mean to Trump and, you know, just you guys know it all. But, no, they, they, they called it. And now listening to him, it's very sobering of what needs to be done how this should be handled, what Trump's doing right, what Trump is doing wrong, what Cuomo's doing right, what Cuomo's doing wrong. And, and, and they all live out there in California, so I hear a lot about what you guys are going through in L.A. You know, one thing I love about you, Jackson, is you really put your money where your mouth is. If you like something, you're 100% behind it. The fact that you've gone to see the show live speaks, to so, speaks so highly about the quality of the show that you would go out and do that. Uh, I listen to 99% Invisible every day and if he put a show up the street i would probably not make it up the street to see it <laughs> you're just so much more committed to these things which it just gets me excited about listening to him why is this on your list right now because of the reporting they're doing or just in general more people should watch this show i think the listen listenership numbers are pretty darn good but everyone should listen to it especially if you lean that way politically but no it's it's a good again it's a good Con I know it's, you know, bias, but it's good contrast to even, you know, CNN, New York Times, like, I feel like all the news now is so sensationalized and so, you know, gotcha moments, like, can we catch Trump doing this? Gotcha. That these mm -hmm. guys, yes, they talk about that stuff, but they also get really into the issues and really deep into what's going on. And they also run a lot of great fundraisers to put, you know, for like cliche money where your mouth is of getting their listenership and everything behind these great causes. So now they're supporting, uh, uh, restaurant workers and bar workers that don't have jobs and actors and all that good stuff. So it's just a, it's good people doing good work. That's awesome. I have one question I always ask about podcasts. Where are you listening to podcasts now? Uh, I still use the iTunes app or not iTunes, whatever the, the iPhone podcast app, which I hate drives me nuts. I always hear ads for new ones that I should try. So if you have a recommendation, tell me. I'll, I'll try oh, no, it. I just listened through Apple Podcasts as well. In fact, I was super excited when this podcast got picked up by Apple Podcasts. But uh, what I mean is, where are you physically listening to them? Is this something you oh. <laughs> are like, stay across the room from me, girlfriend. I'm about to listen to my podcast. I need to be alone. Where do you listen to your podcasts? Well, during the quarantine, yes, that's what it is. It's, you know, if she's on a conference call and I'm not, then I'll use that opportunity. Uh, if I'm walking the dog, that's a good opportunity. Uh, going for a run or working out, that's another opportunity. Otherwise, it's usually during my commute. You know, that's when I get most of it done. But now in the quarantine, it is a struggle to find new times and new places to do it. All right. Well, that is the top five list for Jackson to go back through it. Number five to number one. Number five, McMillions. Number four, Breaking Bad. Number three, Schitt's Creek. Number two, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. And the number one thing to stream, according to Jackson, is Pod Save America. Now, thank you so much for sending in your list for us today. Uh, I have two recommendations as a way of saying thank you to you. And I really hope that you have, I, I thought a lot about this. I hope you haven't watched these. My first recommendation is The Good Place. Have you watched The Good Place? It's available to stream on Netflix and Hulu. I have seen episodes, but no, I've not dove into it. So treat this like Schitt's Creek. Okay. Just 
get into it watch the i think the reason i brought this up is it's smart it's smart yeah. and funny it doesn't have the the loose feel that Chits creek has but the writing is really smart to the point that when i first started watching it i was trying to recommend it to uh jade my wife i said just ignore what the plot is the plot does not matter it's the individual scenes are so funny uh and they and as the seasons go on the plot comes to a point where it matches the funny like language that they use throughout it. Like it's a good pairing. So check okay. that out. Definitely. And then the second one is you may have seen this. I hope you haven't. This is my favorite discovery in the last year. Uh, it's a Netflix documentary that was produced by the Obama's American factory. I've not, but it's on my list. Oh, definitely watch it. I yes. think you'll really enjoy it. It gave me a completely different perspective on the factory process as well as America's place in the world. Uh, so I really hope you enjoy those. Well, Jackson, thank you so much for, for sitting down with me today and uh, talking about everything. I really hope that New York gets out of this sooner rather than later, mainly because I want you to have be safe, but also because if this is where LA is headed, I want it to be short, quick, and sweet. Or we just could do the show again in six months with a whole new list. Oh yeah, yeah we'll see. It's only <laughs> post-pandemic shows at that point. What are you? Have you watched everything? What is on your list that you have not watched? All right, Corn Stream today was produced by me, Bobby Christian. Special thanks to Jackson from New York for calling in. Uh, you can reach out to us or me on Twitter at Civil Matador. Also the same on Instagram, Civil Matador. And I will be back in a few days with an all-new episode. Uh, tune in then.